Episode 53, How to Deliver House Calls. Today, I'm speaking with Toby Hervey from Pager. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. With the advent of value-based pricing and consumer-driven healthcare, getting patients the care that they need when they need it on the patient's own terms is becoming a healthcare business imperative. If a health system does not provide convenient health care, there's patient leakage, there's at-risk populations putting off preventative care, for example. But it is a whole lot easier to spot the problem than solve for it. Health systems and other risk bearers like payers are and have been experimenting with solutions like telemedicine and, and physician house calls in order to meet the, the charge placed before them. Toby Hervey, the general manager over at Pager, does a great job today unpacking both the current situation out there as well as how the in-person full-on house call solution compares with and works with telemedicine. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Toby. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. So you are the general manager of Pager. Do you want to talk about Pager? Sure. We launched Pager a year ago with the idea and the vision that we could fundamentally make healthcare better for every part of the system um, in a system that, that sorely needs some improvement. And the first version uh, or the first step toward that mission was launching a tech-enabled doctor house call service here in New York City. So people could download our app from the Apple App Store, uh, request a visit from a nearby emergency room, emergency medicine doctor, and that doctor would arrive at their apartment, their home, or their office in less than two hours and could treat a broad range of urgent care conditions and injuries, basically anything that you could get treated at a local walk-in clinic or urgent care center. I was actually listening to Jason Kalanakis' podcast. It's called This Week in Startups. And, you know, he's a VC who knows all of the other VCs. And he was actually applauding companies bold enough to go with one word names, you know, like send or I suppose share or seal. Have you detected any upsides or downsides in your one year in business of having a one word name? You wouldn't believe the heated debate that that came with uh, selecting the name Pager. We went through a lot of different names in the development phase, and this was where we landed sort of a week before we pulled the trigger. And I personally love it. I think it's a testament to what was once a very powerful technology for affording better access to care. It gave hospitals a way of paging doctors and a better way for doctors to communicate and be responsive to their patients, which we're all about. And if anything, I love the symbolism of of taking the control over that pager and putting it hands in the hands of the patients where they're in control of their healthcare and, and they're rec- paging the doctor for care when, when they need it. I would agree. I think pager does have certain very specific connotations in healthcare and it's got a kind of a cool ring to it. So I, I applaud your choice as well. 
I mean, not to get too you know cerebral here, but I also love the idea that it's sort of back to the future in a way, much like this tech-enabled reinvention of the house call that we're, that we're pursuing. So we're taking something old and making it new and modern again. And I think the name speaks to that and and the DNA of the brand overall. Yeah, you know what? I hadn't. I think I realized that subconsciously, but as soon as you said it, I was like, "Yeah, you're totally right." Good job there, guys. So you had, as you had just explained, Pager enables patients to get urgent care in their homes instead of having to plot out onto the the street and go to an urgent care clinic. What's the why behind this? Why would you want to do this? Fundamentally, for patients, we want to create a better healthcare experience and empower them to take better care of themselves and their families. And since we launched those first urgent care house calls a little over a year ago here in New York, we've expanded the number of preventive or primary care services that we also offer. The latest example being uh, an on-demand health screening where a registered nurse arrives at the patient's location and does a point-of-care finger prick blood test to, to assess cholesterol. And, and glucose levels in addition to doing blood pressure checks and other body measurements like BMI and, and height, weight, and all that good stuff to give the patient an assessment of their overall health, their risk factors for heart disease, diabetes, and other chronic conditions, and uh, give them some actionable advice on based on their numbers on whether they need additional tests or whether they need to just make some lifestyle changes or whether they're good to go. So Fundamentally, I think that represents where we're headed in being this this platform for any healthcare service that can be fulfilled on demand and making it easier to get the tests that we never get or the routine services that we should be on top of or we're set up and good to go if something does go wrong and our kid gets a fever, it's very easy to get a doctor. We're looking to empower patients and and create some peace of mind and and eliminate the stress around healthcare. You saying that you are helping with preventative care makes me suspect that you have added another prong to your business model, that perhaps you started out with a consumer focus, a consumer-driven um, business model, but you're kind of dipping a toe into the IDN or uh, provider space or risk-bearing space. Is, would that be a good guess? Great guess. And, and I can talk a little bit more about that. At the end of the day, it is all about the consumer, even as we get into official relationships and partnerships with health systems and practices and pro other provider organizations. We all share the same goal of really creating a better patient experience and, and pushing the model forward. We've kind of shifted our view a little bit to, to building more of a, a tech-enabled platform or, or marketplace for these on-demand healthcare services. We're on the supply side of that marketplace. We'll partner with established practices, systems, and, and maybe even independent practitioners who actually deliver the medical care, all facilitated by, by Pager, the platform, and reaching the patients on the demand side of, of that marketplace. Why don't we drill a little bit deeper into the patient experience? So how about we start with your original model, which was my kid has a fever. I need somebody to come over here. What, what do yep. I do as a consumer? As a consumer, if your kid has a fever, you uh, can download the Pager app from the Apple App Store or just go to pager.com and, and click request a visit. And there's a, a fully functional web app that's a clone of the iOS app that 
could be used on any device, including laptops. You plug in some basic demographic information and your insurance information, and we show you doctors that are located nearby, so they can they can get to you very quickly. We show you their photo, their qualifications, their credentials, the fact that they're board certified and experienced and well trained and vetted, and you can choose the provider that that works for you based on maybe you're looking for a certain kind of gender or a certain kind of background. Though today all of our doctors are emergency medicine doctors. After you confirm that, that you'd like a visit, the doctor will give you a call within five minutes to triage. If it's a very serious case, they'll refer you to the ER or call 911, uh, or they'll just gather more information about, about your case and to confirm the time of your visit. The doctor arrives, they come equipped with these really cool equipment bags, outfitted with everything you need for point of care testing and stitches or anything else, any equipment that would be needed to fulfill our, our urgent care scope of practice. Typically, then the doctor is there for 30-ish minutes and, and then they're on their way. You get a follow-up text and or call through our HIPAA-compliant messaging system in the app the next day from the doctor. You know, generally, that's that's the core patient experience. The, if any medications are needed, the doctors actually carry the first dose of the 20 most commonly prescribed medications in an urgent care environment and can e-prescribe the rest to the nearest pharmacy or the pharmacy of, of the patient's choosing. Who pays for that? So today we... Bill, our full price is $200 for a house call. And that includes the triage, the follow-up, whether we give you a strep test or stitches or any of the equipment used, it's all included in that, that $200 price. We also can automatically submit, you know, you put your insurance information in the registration and we can automatically submit your claim for reimbursement or credit against your deductible to your insurance plan for you. And then you get notified based on based on your plan and, and based on your insurance company's timeline, exactly how much you're reimbursed or, or credited. For someone who has a consumer-driven health plan, in other words, a gigantic deductible, would the full $200 get deducted off of that deductible that they are responsible to to pay? It varies uh, so largely depending on the individual and the plan. So it's hard to say with any precision. I don't even know if I could apply a number to it. I, the number that I keep hearing is 70%, but I, I don't have any real, I'm not sure how universal that is. Yeah, it probably wasn't a, a fair question. It's just, it's it's something that has been, intriguing in my day job, actually, to begin to understand what kinds, how much control a consumer actually has over their, this healthcare that they are now accountable for. So just curious. Absolutely. And, and it's fully on our roadmap and in our plans to become a, an in-network provider and have consumers pay a copay the same way they would at any doctor's office. And there are a couple things that will really help bring that seemingly far-fetched vision to life and working with health systems and practices directly who already have relationships with the plans and technically via pager are, are the providers of the medical care. That makes it easier. And secondly, there are some really great APIs out there from PocketDoc and Eligibility API that make those upfront eligibility checks and, and copay determinations a lot easier. We are actively working on figuring out what the right solution is to make that a reality. In the meantime, who are your doctors employed by or are they self-employed? 
they are contractors who work for a provider entity that we founded and own. In the future, all of the doctors will work for our partner provider organizations. Okay, so your launch model is that you have your own effectively provider entity. Which is the same model that most of the the pure the telemedicine pure virtual consultation companies have adopted. They set up PCs or, or PAs depending on the state and in, in every state they need to. And then all of their doctors that are available on their platform technically work for those provider organizations. And why is that a model that you're looking to move away from? Uh, I think that we see, we're a company of technologists and we, I think, are the right people to come in and, and work on improving the consumer experience in healthcare because all of us have deep backgrounds in building great consumer experiences. And But we are not doctors and we are not the providers of care. And I think this is less of a disruption story like so many startups and more an opportunity for us to to help the big important system that exists today work better and with greater efficiency and creating better experience for patients or consumers or whatever you want to call them. And we bring that mentality and that technological and marketing expertise, but we are not doctors and we don't want to be and we don't want to pretend to be and we want to work with the the professionals that that take care of us every day and the, and the systems that that bring that care to us and help them work better and smarter and more efficiently to create better experiences for patients. Do you think that will or how do you feel that this will affect your on demand, you know, doctor is 5 minutes away model. In other words, if doctors work directly for you, although I am sure it is by no means easy in order to coordinate doctors and make sure that you've got somebody who's available for a triage for anybody who may call at any given time. If you have other entities which are responsible for managing their own providers, do you feel like you're going to have to change kind of your whole supply back end to, to accommodate there's no doubt that there will be significant changes, but we're pretty clear upfront from conversation one about what we're building here and the expectations of both the organization and from the providers themselves in terms of the service that we deliver, the centricity of the patients. And every time we make a decision or put forward a concept, the lens that we, we put the decision through is, is this good for the patient? Does this benefit the patient? And uh, we are only going to work with partners that embrace that philosophy. What is the expectation of a provider? So in other words, when a, when a provider hooks up with you guys, what are the, I don't, maybe I don't want to say requirements, but the um, expectations or the logistics or what do they need to be aware of? The most successful relationships we're seeing today are from providers that are thinking ahead and or forward thinking and want to be part of something new and cutting edge in healthcare that 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 improves the experience that is so poor today and we have a lot of doctors who love to give us feedback on the app because we have both a patient app and a provider app and they love to give us feedback on the experience and and they're the front lines they're out there seeing the patient getting the questions first and foremost so their input and, and insight are, are tremendously valuable so we need those forward-thinking providers we need providers who are a little comfortable with with uncertainty and experimentation when it comes to the process and the technology and our promise to patients is 
always that these doctors are great and vetted and the best in class, but everything else is sort of a, a bold experiment outside of the medical care. So, And we need doctors who are comfortable operating in that environment. In terms of compensation, which is always an obvious question, we are competitive in terms of what they would earn working at urgent care centers or, or clinics, which has, I think, been a nice check that off the list for the doctors and, and, and kind of removes the question of whether they're going to make money. So far, it, we've seen that, that doctors love being involved and they, they, lo- they love pushing healthcare forward and, and not just sitting static and, and mired in what exists today, which is really working for no one. And I could really see how it would take a doctor who was so inclined out of the, you know, in quotes, factory setting and give them a little bit more touch relative to the patients that they, they do see. Yeah, exactly. They, they, I think they relish the autonomy. And my favorite description when I asked one of our doctors why she works with us, and she just looked at me and said, Toby, it's all the patient care and none of the bureaucracy. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to use that. And I think that sums it up. We, we take a, away a lot of the red tape and, and make it easy to focus on the patient. Now you're kind of shifting over to a business model where you're looking for provider organizations to see the value of the technology that you're offering. What do you think's in it for them? So taking the individual providers, you know, preferences or the advantages, work-life balance, whatever, you know, to an individual provider, what's in it from a business perspective for a health system? For these systems, it's about creating a new care delivery system that improves the patient experience and therefore helps with with acquisition and retention. You know, these systems are a business like any other. Like they have to market themselves, they have to convi- you know, drive trial from from new patients and then extend their lifetime value across the system and we offer a great way of doing that. And if we are this tech-enabled front lines that make it really easy for people to get the care that they need whether it's preventive or or urgent and then additional care is needed, we can work with those systems to intelligently get the patient to the right provider in that system or in the provider organization for, for that next level of follow-up care. For the systems, it's they work with us because they want to reach new patients and they want to improve their relationships with patients overall and, and create innovative ways for patients to get higher quality and, and more convenient care. Yeah, I could see it from two perspectives. One, from the urgent care perspective, I am not exactly sure how much, maybe you would know, how much health systems are concerned about patient leakage through urgent care clinics. So in other words, how many patients are whipping out of network to go to some urgent care clinic instead of staying, you know, going to their PCP, for example, when their kid has a fever or for other things, and, and what the overall sum of, of that lost revenue reflects. I think you know, to address that potential concern, we see health systems opening urgent care centers um, in, in every city a- a- across the U.S. So I think they are seeing that users, particularly a more millennial or, or younger uh, audience, are, are embracing this new transactional medicine model, and, and they want to be at the forefront of that. 
I couldn't quantify exactly what those losses might look like, but they realize they're also, especially under the Affordable Care Act, where where the incentive structures are all changing for these systems, they're looking at better, more cost-effective ways to capture patients that are higher quality than than the emergency room, urgent care centers, or even their relationships with us tie into those dynamics. Makes sense. And I could see how your service would be a way to ensure that patients stay within network in a really easy way and probably high quality patients. If your copay is a little bit higher than, than average, then those are exactly the patients that you want to stay within your, your network. But then also as you move towards preventative care, I mean, there's a whole that's a whole different set of rationale why a service like yours might be of benefit to a health system system. If you're providing chronic care management or if you're, what are the things that you've thought of in that, in that space? Yeah, exactly. You you know, you're hitting a lot of nails on the head here. Today, we're not really set up to afford continuity of care. And our promise is that we make it really easy to get that, that initial interaction. And then our role is to, with our technology and with our team, funnel you to the right provider or specialist or whoever it is for for the next level of care if it's needed. The question is whether a system like Pager, and we've talked about this, can can furnish continuity of care and a relationship with a specific provider over time and, and we, we talk a lot about like monitoring services as a first step toward that. Something like if you have diabetes, getting your, get your A1C checked a couple times a year. Can we help create a relationship there and make it very routine and very easy and you don't have to take the time out of your day to you know, go sit at a doctor's office when you're not sick? And, but we want to make sure that the app and the technology is, is configured to support that. And if it's any sort of ongoing condition or chronic condition that where a relationship is important, we need to be able to support that as well. So for now, we're sort of like the first wave, the detection, the the episodic care, and, and we intelligently and in a tech-forward way funnel you to the right avenue of care for follow-up. But uh, tomorrow, it all could be self-contained within the system with ideally a higher degree of efficiency and saving on a lot of costs and overhead that could come with a traditional practice environment. I would also think that because of the length of time that you're able to spend with a patient, 30 minutes is three, four times the length of time that an average seven-minute PCP visit tends to be, that you might be better able, or do you have any protocols perhaps built into your urgent care model that providers are screening for some of the things that could wind up costing a health system big spend downstream given value-based pricing. Exactly. And that's part of our promise is, is to catch the, those things earlier because we make it so easy. So, I, you know, and this, a lot of this is conceptual and hypothetical at this point, and, and we're working on getting a few pilots off the ground that should hopefully prove out the, the working model here. Do you tend to, are you getting bigger reception from bigger IDNs or are you... If you had to describe the health system demographics, if, if you can apply that to a company, I mean, I guess companies are people in this country, so perhaps you can. What types of organizations tend to be interested in what you're up to right now? The interest has been 
I don't want to say universal because <laughs> it's too blanket of a statement, but there has been widespread interest from every type of health system, I would say even like larger practices from both urban and rural parts of the country. They're all looking at the the rise of digital health and, and changes in the healthcare landscape and feeling pressure from legislation and consumers and to make change. And, and I think in general, there's an attitude where people are hungry for innovative ideas to improve what they're doing today and and, and stay ahead of, of the curve. The interest and in, in has been widespread and typically it starts with somebody who at an organization that's charged with innovation or business development or, or new partnerships. And every time we're in the press or we're at sort of a med tech expo, we're meeting folks from systems that are always interested in, in learning more. And again, like we are close to launching a couple pilots with those systems in a few different cities, but there are many more conversations that are, uh, as you can imagine, slow to develop, but indicative of a pretty widespread interest. I would say where we see some hesitation are really local mom and pop shops who, that sounds more derogatory than I mean it, but, but Doctors who have been in the game for a very long time have a pretty finite set of patients who they've had relationships with for years and years. They are really seeing a lot of the shift to transactional medicine and they have deep concerns about where it's headed because they see the value in the relationships with the patients and they've furnished all of this really great quality care over years and years because they know their patients so well. That's the that's really the only pushback that I've seen. I, I think there's a lot of validity in what they're saying and it remains to be seen and uh, will we don't know really what the long-term ramifications are of not necessarily having a strong relationship with a PCP. I don't know. So, and hopefully we can we can build the app in a way that somebody who really values that that smaller patient pool and that relationship-driven approach like could still drive value from being on pager and using that as a communication or record-keeping tool with their existing patient population. But obviously today we're not set up for that. And, and we fit more into this transactional urgent care center model of medicine. So there are going to be some folks that have concerns about that. Well, you know, you, one of the things that you have mentioned several times now is this idea of transactional medicine. I'm wondering whether, and this is me just kind of talking right now, but I'm almost seeing the opposite. So maybe you can sort of clarify, you know, if you if you think about PCMHs, for example, or you think about team-based care, or even continuity of care, you know, it's my thinking, and maybe it's naive, that the object of that game is actually to align patients more closely with individual providers in order to ensure that that patient has the, you know, full patient-based care that they need, that we have actually been too transactionally based in the past, that, you know, patients are hopping between PCPs, nobody knows that they went to a specialist. So maybe you could clarify a little bit. Yeah, I think like, what we're seeing, and I'm willing to be proven wrong, is that in general, I think it, this particularly applies to like a younger younger patient demographic. We see the rise of telemedicine and, and urgent care centers because th this population is is looking for that quick fix. They, they have something acute or they have a specific need and they want it uh, taken care of. And I would say like the relationship is 
with with a brand or with a, an organization over an individual doctor. Like here in New York, the dominant urgent care brand is is CityMD, and that's sort of you know we spend a lot of time looking at them. But you get a different doctor every time you walk in there, and CityMD maintains your record and and all of any provider who's treating you in that moment of need can can access your your history with CityMD, but they don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you unless you happen to walk in the last time they were also on duty. Uh, and that's what I talk about with transactional medicine. I think, to be honest, it, it, the future is having a relationship with an organization that knows you and, and knows your needs and has a centralized repository of your record, uh, or you, the patient, own that record and can share it with, with anyone. But it's, I think it's less going to be less one-to-one with an individual doctor or nurse. It's, it's less going to be, I'm calling, you know, Dr. Jones. Cause I, it's more, I need to like use pager or go to city MD or, or wherever. That's fair. And it's also a very interesting distinction that when we talk about that, the primary care physician is the quarterback of care. What we're really saying is that, that the organization that that PCP works for is the quarterback of care, not necessarily, you know, Dr. Smith. Yeah, exactly. And if anything, I think there's a shift to the patient being the quarterback, or I think a lot of people say the CEO of their own healthcare and them owning the patient record and taking it to whatever organization or individual you know, can promise the best level of care for the best price and that makes the most sense for that patient. That to me, like the empowerment of that patient, like maybe that patient chooses to go to the same individual doctor and have a relationship because that's what makes sense for them from an experience and a cost perspective. But maybe that doesn't work for someone else. And I think in this overall like value-based model, it, the idea is to make it easier for patients to take care of themselves and get the care that they need without a lot of red tape and a lot of cost. I'm not totally convinced that this sort of paternalistic doctor knows best dictating exactly what the patient can and cannot do is the right model. I think it, it's about the patient being empowered and informed and having, having the control and, and access to get the services that they need. I would suggest that there's just one study after another that would support exactly what you just said, a model where there's no shared decision making. In other words, the patient is told by somebody in a white coat what they will or will not do does not work. And I think the amount of chronic disease and the cost of that chronic disease in that in this country would support that, even if there were no scientific studies showing that shared decision-making is the way to go in the future. So, and, and truthfully, as a consumer, and speaking for myself a little bit, or as a patient, I want to engage with an organization, whether it's an ACO or PCMH or whatever it is, that, that wants to empower me to make those decisions and isn't sort of like scaring me into getting something I may not necessarily need, but sort of like empowers and informs me. And, and I think that's going to come from organizations more than individuals. And, and that's the dynamic that we're playing into here with Pager. You had mentioned telemedicine. And I could see that telemedicine is in the same basic genre that that Pager plays in. It is telemedicine, do you view them as a competitor? How do you, how do you see telemedicine and Pager interacting? Telemedicine is 
undoubtedly a really important development in access to care. The legislation cracking down on it, I think there are some good intentions thrown in with some less than good intentions, you know, but they're ultimately, like, I, I think we most of us can agree that it, it's a good development, especially, especially in rural areas where access to healthcare resources are more limited in terms of furnishing patients with more choice and control and access to easy, cost-effective options for care. I think our position and, and my personal position is that it's just not quite enough in, in isolation. And there are some serious limitations to the scope of practice. And there were some studies even just last week or the week prior that came out that suggested an overprescription of antibiotics in, in telemedicine, which is a more concrete articulation of some concerns that telemedicine might just be like an antibiotic factory because that leads to greater patient satisfaction and there's only so much you can really determine over the phone. So again, I think telemedicine is limited in isolation. And what I think we're building here with Pager is telemedicine with the option for in-person care as needed. And our future is a patient comes into Pager, they are effectively triaged virtually, and there is a chance that their case could be solved over the phone or, or virtual video consultation or sharing an image, and that's all the patient needs, and there's enough information to make an informed and, and meaningful diagnosis and, and get the patient what they need. But if that patient requires additional care, Pager offers that on-demand in-person option where a provider arrives at the patient's location, or Pager will get that patient to the right facility, the right specialist, the right emergency situation, depending on what they need. So telemedicine is most powerful as triage with solving a subset of those cases that are brought in over the phone or, or virtually, but is, is, is very limited if there isn't the power to make sure the patient gets in-person care or address any doubts that might come up in that initial consult with an in-person physical exam or point of care test. A patient that's appropriate for telemedicine you know, full-on, full-stop telemedicine is probably of a different ilk or at that moment in time of a different ilk than someone who might be more appropriate for an in-person visit. The reality is that I don't think most patients, you know, myself included, know. They just know something's wrong. They feel poorly. Like maybe they've had it before, so they have a good sense of what's up. Or like many of us have started to research in advance like, what their symptoms are and what it could mean. But I think telemedicine is the starting point. And then and the way pager is evolving and the way it is today, right? It all starts with a triage call from the emergency doctor. Some of those cases can be solved over the phone, but some of them require, and the diagnosis really benefits from in-person care. It's easy to have a symptom or have a patient describe symptoms that sound like a strep throat that needs an antibiotic, but unless you show up and deliver that test, then you're kind of writing the antibiotic prescription blindly. Every interaction on Pager today starts with a telemedic medicine consult and then progresses into the in-person house call. And that, I think, is the future and is what is needed to make te telemedicine viable. It, it introduces a lot of efficiency, right? Because if you can solve those cases over the phone, it's very cost-effective and, and a great experience for the, the patient. Um, but without the backup, it's, it's, there's too much liability. That's, uh, I think, a really good point. You, I think you've hit the, the nail on the head that when the patient picks up the phone to make the call or logs on their computer or smartphone, however they're doing it, to initiate the, the interaction with a provider, they don't know. So if you have a telemedicine organization with no 
ability to deliver a an in-person consult if necessary, that could be an issue. I mean, from, from a, a patient standpoint, either you're turning the patient away, you know, sorry, we can't help you. You need to go into the, the facility or you're, you're potentially exactly like you said, over prescribing antibiotics or providing some substandard care in some in some fashion. And also, I mean, the reality is that if it comes to I slice my hand open or, you know, you can't do anything over the phone for that. So and, and our doctors show up and, and can do the stitches, which is great, or the suturing, which is great. And I, I think from an industry perspective, what we've heard from insurance plans is that I can't quantify this. So, I, you know, take it for what it's worth, but that a lot of these telemedicine interactions actually the patient ends up going to the doctor or the urgent care center anyway. They are not feeling well enough after the initial consult or maybe they're not satisfied with the results. And and then the, if the insurance company is, or plan is reimbursing for both the, the consult and then the in-person visit, then they're paying twice for one, one patient case. Whereas if you have sort of this filtering system, the idea is like if there's any gray area where in-person care might be beneficial or if the patient wants it, you can you can fulfill that. And, and it's only one patient encounter that the plan is, is accountable for reimbursing. Where can people go to learn more information about Pager? Pager.com uh, has everything that, that a patient would need to know about Pager, and, and there's more information about our enterprise program as we start to work with, with employee benefit programs here in New York. There is less information on Pager.com about our, our efforts with health systems and partnerships with provider organizations, but I am always open to conversations if somebody wants to email me at toby, T-O-B-Y, at Pager.com. Thank you so much for being on the program, Toby. Thank you for having me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show. So that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you, so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.